We might just have to go back a little bit. Chapter 10. So the old thing happened. Just from, let's read from verse 17. That's why the Father loves me. Because I laid, this is where we finished last week, last month. Because I laid down my life, because I laid down my life so that I can take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to receive it back again. This is the command I receive from my Father. It's an astonishing, it is uh, an unspeakable privilege that uh, the Logos in his humanity was given the privilege of willing to die or willing not to die. Of willing to take his life again or willing not to take his life again. It was up to you. And he veiled this privilege, perhaps you could say, in the, under the guise of a command. Uh, humility is a command. The Father said, you can either die or not die. You can either take your life back again or not take it back again, according to the prompting of the love in your heart. And that's why the Father loves me, because I continue to do his will. Um, and that's about where we finished last time. In verse 19, So there was again a division among the Judeans because of what Jesus had said. Uh, did, did we survey those divisions? It always happened, didn't it? And I think, did we reference um, Simeon on that, on that day, when, on the, the eighth day, when Jesus was brought to the temple for to do to him after the custom of the law? And Simeon was a delightful man. Uh, from what we, what we read from him, he was delightful. He, he was in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost, it says, Paul, Luke said, Luke said, the Holy Ghost had told him that he would not see death until he'd seen the Lord's salvation appear. And the baby came into his arms and he took it up in his arms, he took it from Mary um, and said, Lord, let now thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And he turned to Mary and said, This child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. You remember the passage, um, right at the beginning there. Um, there's no rising to life divine uh, except we fall fall into the ground and die. Jesus said it, except a corn of wheat falls into the ground and expires. That whole previous actuation that has been the mainspring of our lives has got to expire. It's got to die. This child is set for the fall. (coughs) And just to remind you, brother, sister, if you want to rise in life, let the Lord take you into death. This child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. And he, he went on to say, and a sword also shall pierce your soul to Mary. And he went on to say, and that the hearts, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. Do you remember that? Do you think that he who sees the hearts of all men needed for the hearts of any men to be disclosed or revealed. For him. 
No, he sees all our hearts. So it wasn't God that needed this information. Is that a fair thing? He sees our hearts. He knows what's in there. No, no thoughts are hid from him. So it wasn't for the purpose of God. It wasn't for his benefit that the thoughts of many hearts, this is Jesus, the consequences of him coming into the earth was, Simeon said, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. The father didn't know, need to know that. He already knew. Hmm. Did the Romans need to know the thoughts of their hearts? Well, I can't imagine they did, really. It wasn't really for their benefit, was it? So what's the obvious question? For whose benefit were these thoughts revealed? Who needed to know? Can I suggest to you um, that the people that need to know the thoughts of their hearts are the people who own the hearts? So that's what I was thinking. That's what I'm like. I never knew. I'd lathered it over. I'd kidded myself. I'd turned a blind eye to that. You mean I'm like that? Yeah. So that I would suggest to you that we are the ones who needs the thoughts, who need the thoughts of our hearts revealed. So that by the grace of God we can crumble onto our knees and say, oh Lord, change my heart. Does that sound? I just thought I'd mention that because it's such a delightful thing that Jesus has come to show us what we are so we can be different. Mate, mate, uh, child, you don't want to be like that anymore. Uh, I've come, so you should really know what's going on. And everywhere that Jesus went, we see that exact thing happening. That people's hearts were provoked into the open. So, here we have it again. Um, Verse 19. There was a division among the Judeans because of what Jesus had said. Verse 20. He's demon-possessed, some were saying. He's raving mad. Why listen to him? No, said some others. It's not how demon-possessed people talk. So that was their experience. Is that we, we, we can think of that, though, who we thought was demon-possessed. He, he, he didn't talk like him, no. So there was something that didn't compute. That was their experience. But there was a second point. Uh, anyhow, how could a demon open a blind man's eyes? Another problem. But do you see the point that Jesus... His appearance and our appearance in his presence uh, will disclose what's in our heart. And everywhere he went, that's what happened. Let, shall we just, for pleasure, uh, do a quick survey. Chapter 7, verse 12, of that very thing, of seeing what happens. So, if you just quick look back to chapter 7. There was considerable dispute about him, verse 12, among the crowds. Here we go. He's a good man, some were saying. No, he isn't, others would reply. He's deceiving the people. Verse 30, the same chapter. So they tried to arrest him, but nobody laid hands on him because his time had not yet come. And depending on their inner condition, many people from the crowd believed in Jesus. When the Messiah comes, they were saying, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard that the crowd was full of this rumor about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent servants to arrest him, that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. Uh, Let's just go on. 40. When they heard these words, some of the people in the crowd said, this man really is the prophet. 41. He's the Messiah, some said. But others of them replied, the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? 
Doesn't the Bible say that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem? You understand. Quickly, in chapter 9, verse 16, the same thing. This man can't be from God, some of the Pharisees began to say. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. But, well, replied some of the others, how can a man who's a sinner do signs like these? And so the old thing, um, as the uh, spirituality of Jesus' presence and message is presented to hearts, they uh, divide into two camps. Uh, The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. you know, you're going to love this. I, I hope you can love this. Um, Jesus was among enemies, folk who he had virtually uh, finished with, in that they had resolved to murder him. And what we're going to read in the next few verses is another invitation to them to come over to his side. He already knew what was in their heart. Come, this is the son and heir. Let us kill him. And the vineyard will be ours. And he was still holding out his hand all the day long. This now is the acceptable day. You can come off that. So even though their heart had been revealed, they were being invited to repent. Being invited to come across to leave it. Let's read it. So, verse 22, we have a gap. No, anyway, how could a demon open a blind man's eyes? Verse 22, it was the feast of the dedication in Jerusalem. So there's a pause there. There's a big, take a big breath, because that's two months. Alright, so between 21 and 22 is a two month gap. 21 was the Feast of Tabernacles in October. Autumn. Two months later, um, the Feast of the Dedication. Jesus went away somewhere, actually probably Galilee. Remember he sent out the 70 disciples, two by two, into every city where he was about to go? So there was a bit of a tour of Galilee as a final appeal to them before the last um, approach to Jerusalem four months later in the spring of the next year. So during that time, he wandered around and he sent the disciples out and he visited all the towns in Galilee and I suggest that that two months would fit into that thing. But during that... Galilean time when he sent them around two by two prepare, um, to speak to all the, sounds, uh, all the towns preparing them uh, all the places where he was about to go prior to the crucifixion it seems like there must have been well absolutely a quick visit to Jerusalem and it was a feast dedication December it's cold and wet So where do we find Jesus? Not wandering the streets or in the square, but under the porch. It was raining. It was winter. It said it. First, where are we? It was a feast of dedication, verse 22, in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's porch. A long, colonnaded, covered area. So if it was raining and cold outside, they were dry under the 
thing. Next verse, next phrase. The Judeans surrounded him. So they cut him out. It looks, it sounds like they cut him out. So he would have been with his disciples and whoever was listening to him. And the Judeans surrounded him. He was on his own. He was cornered. They had something they wanted to say. So this was two months down the track. They'd never, they hadn't let go of their beefs with him at all. The Judeans, how much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? They asked him. If you're the Messiah, say so out loud. Jesus had never said it. He never said, I am the Christ. And we discussed that we could imagine why. There's a problem with that. He couldn't say to them, I am the Christ. He couldn't say it to them because it meant something completely different to them to what he meant. We discussed that. And he couldn't say, I'm not the Christ. Because he is the Christ. He's a Christ in a way that they didn't understand and didn't expect. And so, he says what he said in chapter 8, 25. I've already told you. What? And we talked about that. Do you remember in chapter 8, 25, he said the same thing? Verse 25 uh, of our chapter, chapter 10. If you're the Messiah, say so out loud. I told you, replied Jesus, and you didn't believe. Just flick back to chapter 8, please, verse 25. We have an identical answer. You come from below, Jesus said to them. Whoops. Sorry, too far back. Verse 25. Who are you, they asked. What I've been telling you from the beginning, replied Jesus. Uh, in chapter 2, we had, I'm a true temple. In chapter 4, I'm the water of life. The, how, how should we style it? The, the true, whoops, I wouldn't like to, uh, I'm the living water. That's how we, he styled it. Living water. In chapter 5, the true son. He, he explained to them and that he was fulfilling all the messianic emblems were fulfilled in him he that hath an ear to hear let him hear to anyone who desired to believe remember he said that that if you uh, desire to do the will of God if you will do the will of God you'll know my doctrine whence it is whether it's from God or not that was the key. It was the, key. it was the moral condition of their hearts that made them either hearers and believers or rejectors. So to the moral prepared hearts, the hearts that were morally prepared, the ones who were uh, of his flock that the Father was giving him, when they saw it, and he said, I'm the true temple, I'm the living water, I'm the true son. Chapter 6, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Chapter 7, I'm the true rock whence flows life. He said, yes, yes, yes. And he said, I've already told you, and you didn't believe. Their hearts were sealed. I think we should understand like that. It's, um, okay, I told you, and you didn't believe. Verses, chapter 10, verse 25. I told you, and you didn't believe. The works which I'm doing in my Father's name 
give evidence about me but you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep and you know we've been trained to put it the other way around uh, you are one of my sheep because you believe Jesus said it the other way around you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep and we have alluded to this um, moral condition of human hearts repeatedly why? Well, because it turns up so often in the words of Jesus is it worth I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm going to read you uh, just a verse in chapter 8 you remember it no harm in letting there's no harm I think it's necessary for us to let go of our religious prejudices and let them be uh, subverted by the words of Jesus isn't that a better way around? so let's subvert our religious prejudice on this event here we go verse 47 of chapter 8 the one who is from God speaks God's words that's why you don't listen because you're not from God there was a there was a precondition in them that stopped them hearing the word of the father they weren't of God chapter 5 verse 42 similar uh, I'm not accepting glory from human beings but I know that you haven't got the love of God within you I've come in the name of the Father and you won't receive me Uh, chapter 6 and then we'll go back Uh, 44 no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I'll raise them up on the last day it's written in the prophets they shall all be taught of God everyone who listens to what comes from the Father and learns from it comes to me Okay, verse 26, chapter 10 you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep and then I think we could say that in the next couple of verses we get a precy of the conversation from two months ago two months ago Jesus had said on either the same day or the day after he had uh, healed the infirm man no, the, the blind man the mud pat on the eye man uh, probably the day after he'd said those three parables about the sheep and I think we've got a reiteration of them here two months down the track he picks up the thread my sheep hear my voice I know them <coughs> next parable they follow me that's what they do that's, that's, how they, that's how they respond to the word they hear my voice and they follow me that's point one how they respond to the word parable number two what do they do Uh, they follow me and I give them the life of the coming age I give them eternal life and parable number three their state of salvation they will never ever perish nobody can snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all I'll say that again my father who has given them to me here here is an encouragement for you today the Father 
is giving your soul into Jesus' hands. He's thought about you. He knows you. And his and he's giving he's you're his possession. And he's giving you into the hands of Jesus. We need to be very glad. It's a cause for us of great rejoicing. That how can he think about me? How can he take note of me? Yea, but the very hairs on your head are numbered. And your Father is giving you and me into Jesus' hands for safekeeping, for salvation. He goes on saving us. Did you know that you mattered that much? What did you think your life was? How important do you think it was? It's not supposed to be important to you. It is important to Jesus. But you've, got to, you've got to throw your life away. If you love it, you'll lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, and you fall into the ground and die, as Jesus was saying, you'll keep it under life eternal. You'll find that the Father's giving your life into the hands of Jesus. Guys, none of us needs to have an identity crisis. None of us needs to um, feel that we're not worth anything. We might not be worth very much, but the Father cares anyway. And he loves us, and he's giving us into the hands of Jesus. Uh, How can we feel unhappy uh, in that circumstance? How can we feel as if nothing's going to work out right for us in that circumstance? How can we feel that uh, it's not right and nothing's fair? Father knows us. He knows every hair of our head is numbered. He's giving us into the hands of the Son. He's got it covered. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Um, I told you you didn't believe. Verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Pharisees the powers of the day the Putins of the world the nutcases of the world on the other side the, they're, all, they're all nutty and the father is greater, greater than them all um, nobody no power of earth no principality no spirit can interfere with the father's possession of your soul yeah. That's right. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. So we haven't got anything to worry about. We don't have to worry about nuclear war. So what? Nuclear that or economic disaster. It's all going to happen. Great. The thing that matters is that nothing can pluck us out of his hand. He's got it planned. Uh, Thank you, Lord. Peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. My peace. Peace that remains. Uh, I had an interesting education in the meaning of that phrase, not as the world gives, give I unto you. How does the world give peace? Well, I know exactly, sorry, I can think, imagine exactly what, how the world gives peace. It says, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Um, that's what they say when they greet each other, the Muslims. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blessings on your house and blessings of God. And the Jews say the same, shalom. And they give, they give it out as a word. And it means nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't change your life one iota. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Oh, just a glib word that makes no difference. 
My peace I give you. Peace that remains. The thing that goes into your heart and makes you a different being. Um, it's quite nice because I, I, I um, spent a year with the Assalamu Alaikum crowd and uh, really, really enjoyed it. But um, I realised what, what it meant. That it's just, just how you greet people. It didn't make me any more peaceful. Uh, it didn't have any power to change my heart. Um, you understand. Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, I give them that. My father has, has given to me, he's greater than all. And he goes on, I and the father are one. So the Judeans once more picked up stones to stone him. Now hang on, where was it last? Which verse was it, were they stoning him last? Was it 857? 857, 859. Chapter 859, so they lifted up stones to throw to him. Now at that stage they were in the treasury. There was building work going on in the court. All they had to do was bend down, there was all this rubble around. And they lifted up stones to throw to him. It was a threat. We, we, we opined that it was a threat. And they wanted to throw him, they could have pelted him. So it was a threat. You blasphemous one. And the stones were just there. Two months later, now, in our period, in chapter 10, the second half of chapter 10, it was winter, they were under the porch, but they were in the porch, the treasury and the court were over there. Where did the stones come from? It says that they brought them. So whereas before they lifted them up, in this case, chapter 31, the Judeans once more brought or carried stones. So... Here was Jesus annoying them in the porch, and they went off 20, 30, 40 yards out there to get some stones to come and finish him off. It was a different level of threat, I suggest. Uh, do you understand the difference? He's annoying them here. Oh, mate. He's annoying them again two months later. Hang on. I'm gonna, we're going to get the necessary from the court where the building's going on. Uh, again so the Judeans once more carried stones to stone him or brought stones to stone him I've shown you many beautiful deeds from the Father fine deeds uh, deeds of goodness and holiness from the Father ek the Father from they flowed out of the Father now they couldn't deny that um which one of these are you going to stone me for? We're not stoning you for good deeds, replied the Judeans, but because of blasphemy, here you are, a mere man, and you're making yourself into God. And astonishingly, Jesus engages with them. Before, in chapter 8, he just disappeared. They were really agitated, and he just disappeared. Uh, This time, he engages with them, and he seeks to remove the cause of stumbling. These people with wickedness in their hearts, yet he held out to them, it seems to me, he held out to them um, the hand of fellowship and offered them to come across and, he, and it seems that he was trying to remove this stumbling block of the accusation of blasphemy. Here's what he said. 
It's written in your law, isn't it? replied Jesus to them. I said, you are gods. Scripture, Psalm 68, verse 80. Well, if the law calls people gods, people to whom God's word came, you can't set the Bible aside, how can you accuse someone of blasphemy when the Father has placed him apart and sent him into the world and he says, I am the Son of God. The phrase the Son of God had been used of angels and prophets in the Old Testament before. And Jesus said, how can you say that's blasphemy? The Father set me apart. These works are a demonstration of that to you. He sent me into the world. How can you accuse me of blasphemy? If I'm not doing the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, well, even if you don't believe me, believe the works. Isn't that an astonishingly humble position to take in the face of this hatred and wickedness? He's giving them every opportunity. He's trying to remove every stumbling block so that they should so that they should come in. Look, even if you don't want to believe me, believe the works. Oh God, what grace, what gentleness, uh, what love. Uh, and that, and I, I want to offer you an expanded translation here. This is my friend Frederick Godet's suggestion. He said that the words are not as written. Well, but the best readings could be rendered like this. Even if you don't believe me, believe the works. That way you will learn to know and may at length acknowledge. That way you will learn to know, not just know, but you will learn to know. It suggests some process and struggle, isn't it? And may at length acknowledge. Now, they've got a long way to come, haven't they, in their hearts, to get from where they are, this is the heir, this is the son and heir, come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours, to get from there to faith. But he said, even if you don't want to listen to me, look at the works, listen to them. That way you will learn to know and may at length acknowledge that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And you could quite rightly raise an objection there that the kind of confession of divinity that Jesus gave them as innocent well the scripture says they are God was different from the absolute way that he had been claiming to be one with the father that would be a legitimate objection I don't know that I can say this well I'll try because it won't take too long but it is very very extraordinary I think it's very very important I think it, um, it strikes at the whole heart of the purpose of the gospel. <laughs> but here's the point. Um, see, there was Leviticus, no, not Zechariah. Let me see, um, Zechariah 12. Uh, it says, Israel is God, is a God. 
We, I haven't got Zechariah. Oh dear, I've only got the New Testament. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> how bad. I didn't think that one through, did I? How annoying. Zechariah 12.8. Could you help me, please? In that day the house of David shall be as God. Well, it comes under the Zeds. <laughs> we'll just cut right in. Twelve eight, please. On that day, the Lord will shield those who live in Jerusalem, so that. The fields among them will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. Thank you. <coughs> what? Look, he, here's the thing. You and I know that his ways are far above our ways. He's not like flesh. So what is the psalmist doing, saying, Teach me thy ways, O Lord. No, his ways are far above our ways. Yeah, that's true. That's also scripture. So what's the psalmist doing? Saying, teach me thy ways. This separation, I believe, is Jesus' message is set to be contracted. Not that he comes down but that we are to be elevated so that our ways are converted and our ways become his ways and we have this again and again in John's Gospel that they shall be in me and I in them that the destiny of humanity has always been to be incorporated into the Godhead and that humanity has now entered the Godhead the man Christ Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God he is still the man Christ Jesus he is elevated into the heavens he is entered into the holy place he is in the presence of God and sitting now with him and he is the man Christ Jesus and so there's a sense in which we got an agent of God was a representative of God and this gap I believe is the, the, the testimony of scripture it was always supposed to be closed and that was the purpose and that is the purpose of the gospel not just to forgive our sins but by cleansing us make us fit to be godded with God and to be made one with him I in you and you in me that we shall be one as the Father it's written all the way through and so they had a very um, cold religious hard and fast view of the Godhead just like my Muslim friends God is great and far out there and we're down here and never the two shall meet and you say no God is great and he is above all and you are to meet you are to be elevated and to be planted in the Godhead that's the gospel 
So that in, this, in that sense, um, to say that I am God was actually only a continuation of the revelation of Scripture, but nobody understood the revelation of Scripture. Nobody except Jesus really understood what was being said through the Old Testament. It was all revealed in Him. God has in these last days spoken unto us in the Son. Uh, so there is a sense in which it is no blasphemy to say I am God, it's just a continuation of the thrust of scripture and the revelation and so there we are so let's just finish our passage and then we'll have finished oh Lord do you see that that way you will learn to know, oh Lord, his kindness, he's offered them away. Look, you've got a problem with me? Just think about the works then. That way you might, you will learn to know, and you might come to acknowledge at length that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And he seems to have uh, diffused the situation a bit, because there's no more talk of stones Perhaps the mildness uh, of his reply had softened it. And his reference to Scripture, that, well, actually, it's, guys, Scripture is linking God with man. And they went, they thought, well, how are we going to arrest him? So they changed. Verse 39. So again they tried to arrest him. But Jesus managed to get away from them. I can't imagine I can't imagine there was a scuffle I think it would have been an inattention remember he was surrounded and they were trying to arrest him perhaps they turned their attention actually if they went off to get stones they probably wouldn't have surrounded him again um, because this bloke stone could have hit this bloke I don't know uh, but, but they were around him and they were going to perhaps they went into a little huddle and said well what are we going to do with this fellow? This not stern. How are we going to arrest him? And I, I can't imagine that Jesus had to fight his way out. And it was shoulders and elbows to escape them. I think it would have been, who knows, uh, I think it would have been some moments of inadvertency. And while they were distracted, he got out of there. Um, so he wasn't arrested then. What do you reckon? but Jesus managed to get away from them and then he was off if he had he stayed the whole thing would have been over the final crisis would have been precipitated too soon so he removed himself to beyond Jordan to Perea and had a lovely time there he went off verse 40 once more across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at the beginning and he stayed there. Do you remember his public ministry started at Jordan where John was baptizing? That was the beginning of this um, 30 month cycle of events um, for Jesus. And there he was back there again. We're talking about December, in four months' time, it was the cross. Right? So it was just getting near that time. And he went back to Perea beyond the Jordan where John had been baptizing and we just got a little historical note and he stayed there he had some time there away from Jerusalem let them simmer down several people came to him John 
never did any signs, they said. So this would have been John's home turf. If he'd have been baptizing there, the guys around there, they would have been, um, among them, would have been adherents of John. You think if you had this important prophet, Jesus said he was the greatest prophet that ever lived, um, do you think that they would have been a bit conscious of what he'd said and done? He'd have had some adherents? And they said to each other, John didn't do any miracles, but everything he said about this man was true. And in the midst of the final crisis that was emerging, many believed on him there. And still, the Father was drawing hearts. As the nation was rejecting him, and as the things resolving and coming to its final conclusion, still the Father was drawing hearts, and many believed on him there, where he started in Perea. Uh, thank you, Lord. Oh Lord, that you should condescend to walk with us, to open your life to us and to call us into it so that we should walk with you. You condescend to walk with us. Shall we just pray for a minute? Jesus for the example of love and how compelling it is to our hearts Lord grant that we should emulate and have this, emulate you and have this love of Jesus free and boundless, pure and endless, Lord grant that it should uh, dwell in me dwell in us Lord, it should be the thing that actuates us, that with understanding we should walk in the love of God, um, being a friend to men and women whom you send to us. Just as Jesus held out his hand all the day to those his enemies and made a way for them to escape. Lord, let us have the same spirit. Lord, increase our understanding of your ways. Lord, increase the conversion of our ways, that our ways should be converted and become like under thy ways. Oh Lord, and so let the whole, let the great purpose of the Godhead be fulfilled, even, oh Lord, even in us, we who are so little, so insignificant, and yet, Lord, significant to you, souls who you have loved and given to the Son, Oh, Father, thank you. We feed upon thee. We feed upon thy truth. We're not making up stories. We're letting our hearts uh, rejoice in the love of God. Hallelujah.